welcome to Kyle and Courtney Have Questions. And boy, do we. It's the podcast where we try to figure out what the fuck this world is all about. Every week, we pick at least one of those questions to do a little studying and figure out what the hell it's all about. And hopefully you guys can learn along with us. Well, she got her license suspended for driving all the guys crazy. It's Courtney Agnew. (laughs) (laughs) And you know... He's ready for his close-up, Mr. DeMille. It's Kyle Russell. Oh, my God. We switched this week. You took the movie quote and I took the pickup line. I know. I just I don't know why I was thinking of ways to introduce you. And that one popped into my head. And I was like, how have I not used that yet for Kyle? That's such a good, that's such a good quote. A classic. So good. So good. Classic. What you snacking on over there, my friend? Oh, my God. Can you hear it? No, but I can see it. It looks yummy. It's smart pop. You know what I'm saying? I got very hungry. So I was like, it's time to have a snack, you guys. Listen, I promise I won't chew into the microphone. You can't go wrong with popcorn, though. It's the absolute best. Do you like kettle corn? I do, but I have to be like in the mood for it. Okay, that's interesting. Like, you know, it's just one of those things like I'm always a more like savory food person. Mm -hmm. So I have to really be in the mood to have something that's got like sweet to it. Mm, I feel like sweet things that are sweet and savory are the best snacks. Yeah, you're down they're, for a little, they're like, good stoner snack. Chocolate sure. covered pretzel and I that I will die on this hill. That is the best stoner snack. <laughs> a chocolate covered pretzel or just sweet yes. and savory? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's chocolate covered pretzel because it is sweet and savory. It satisfies both at the same time. It is the best one. Good to know. There's a really great um, chocolate company here in Pennsylvania that makes amazing chocolate covered pretzels. So next I'm time sure. I come to Chicago, I'm going to bring you some. Please do. Yes, you'll love them. They're amazing. Well, guess what? What? I got a confirmation that I'm redoing my show at Drew's on Halstead at the end of this month. So it's official. I have been booked again. This show was a success. I am so excited to hear that. Yay, friend. Yay. Go you. You did it. Thank you. I told you it would be amazing. It was really fun. And my sister flew in from California to see the show. Um, And we had some like really lovely moments. Like I did a song in the show and I, the, my preface for the song was like, sometimes you hear a song that, you know, it just grabs you and you don't Mm -hmm. know why, but something says like, I have to sing this song. So I started singing it. And after the song was done, she said, do you know our grandmother, which the show is based off of, used to sing that song. And I didn't know that. No. Oh, the whole. The whole audience was kind of like, oh, Kyle, I'm going to cry. Collective. I know. Oh my God, that's beautiful. It, I was like stunned. I was like, oh my God. You know what song it was? What was it? It's called, I'm Always Drunk in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that oh great? Oh my God. Oh my God. I love your grandma so much. <laughs> She she was a blast in a glass. Oh, she's a firecracker, it sounds like. She was a total, like, New Orleans jazz baby. Had had, like, her... She wore her tennis skirts, smoked, like, cigarettes, and drank wine and martinis all the time. She did... She, her favorite thing, every morning, she took... So we lived on the Gulf Coast on the beach in Mississippi. <laughs> she took long walks on the beach every morning. She was the darkest person on the, on the Gulf Coast, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she was very oh. Catholic. Um, and she like her signature scent was like Tahitian vanilla and cigarettes. I love it. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> she was that's pretty fantastic. Amazing. I love that. That was like your grandma's song. <laughs> she loved jazz, um, and you know I was really young. I was probably um, in my maybe early teens when she passed, mm-hmm. and so I I don't really have that many true memories of her. So everything is like, I'm relying on my sisters and my aunts and uncles to give me stories. Yeah. But I never really knew where this like love of jazz music came from until I was like putting the show together. And I was like, oh my God, it was my gigi. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I never realized that was like where you came up with like the name for the show and stuff too. Well, the show was all like, yeah, it's all standards and jazz music. Yeah. Um, and since she was my inspiration for it, I named it. And I mean, it made sense because I'm Kiki, she's Gigi. It like made yeah. sense to put them together, you know? That's amazing. So, yeah. I love it. What's going on with you? Oh, um, you know, it's uh, 4th of July weekend. Uh, as I yeah. mentioned earlier, I will not be celebrating the holiday due to a lack of freedom. 
(laughs) We've got a nationwide shortage. Um, So yeah. So I am today I am going to a uh, pro-choice rally slash protest. Hell yeah. I'm so excited for it. And then tomorrow, the only other thing I have planned tomorrow night, my friend and I are going to go on, it's called the Berg bus, like Pittsburgh, Berg bus. Yeah. Um, And it's like a BYOB bus tour of Pittsburgh, but it's hosted by comedians. So it's basically like a stand-up comedy show on wheels. On the bus. Yeah. And we went to a comedy show Wednesday night here in Pittsburgh at Hop Farm Brewing. Um, there's mm-hmm. a comedian I love, Steve Hofstetter. I should send you some of his stuff. He's very political and I just, I love it. It's hilarious. Um, but uh, he has a foundation. He moved to Pittsburgh last year and started a, an arts foundation here in the city. And so they are doing a summer series of comedy shows at this brewery. And so we went to the show Wednesday night and one of two of the women that were opening at the show both mentioned it, that they were going to be on the seven o'clock tour on Saturday. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you guys, gonna... I really can't stress this enough. If you, if you have live entertainment near you, go support go. those people. Go. It's oh so my important. Gosh. Yes. And I'm just excited because Pittsburgh's not a huge city. We do have the Pittsburgh improv, but that's kind of outside of the city a little bit. And I go to that, you know, as often as I can, but I'm excited to have like this new kind of venue closer to the city of, of things to do and and be able to see local comedians and like up and coming comedians and um, kind of like, so this Steve Hofstetter, his uh, organization is called steel city arts foundation or steel city Mm -hmm. AF for short. <laughs> um, and for those who don't know, Pittsburgh is the steel city. That's what we were known for is steel mills. That's right. why our football team is the Steelers. Yeah. Um, but he bought a, an old like church and parsonage that had been shut down and on the market and he's renovating the church into a performance space. And they've ah. built like, they've built a podcast loft <laughs> and they've built like um, computer labs and recording rooms for like music stuff. And, and then they're going to do every year. I think they pick three people for an annual grant who get to move to Pittsburgh and live in the parsonage. And they like pay all of their expenses for the year so that they can just like focus on their craft. It's BRB, so cool. I'm moving to, I'm moving to Pittsburgh. Get here. Let's do it. I love <laughs> it. I just, I'm like, I think it's so awesome. And so it was very cool. Like some of the people that were at the show were local comedians. And then there was one guy who was from, I think he said Indiana, that he was one of the like grant acceptees um, for this current year that he's been living here. And he's, I think they said he's leaving soon. Like his term is almost up for his grant, but yeah. So I'm like, cool. it's it's just such a cool thing. And like, he did it all in his dad's honor. His dad passed away several years ago and was a big supporter of him. And so Mm -hmm. he was like, you know, I wanted to find somewhere to do something like this. And I absolutely love, somebody asked him, I saw in like an article or an interview that he did that someone asked him like, well, why Pittsburgh? Like, why would you end up in Pittsburgh of all places? Right. And he was like, Pittsburgh is very much like stand-up comedy. It has a lot of heart. It's got a lot of nitty gritty, you know, deep down and, you know, people really support it a lot. And so I was like, I just loved that. That I was like, yes, you love my city and I love you. And this (laughs) is all going to be great. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have bought, they're doing the series through the end of July, every Wednesday. So I have bought tickets for all of the shows except for the July 6th show. Cause I have to take that stupid work test on the 7th. So I figure I should be responsible and not go drinking the night before. Yeah, get your mind fresh. <laughs> try to try to be a responsible adult, maybe. Courtney, that's really cool. I, I feel like you're always like out and about doing things and supporting local artists and local businesses and stuff like that. It's super yeah, cool of you. I try to. I'm a big believer in small business and, and in the arts. And I just saw somebody post something about, you know, how people are quick to be like, oh, well, you like to draw. Can you just do this for me for free because you like it? And it's like, no. <laughs> And I keep going back to like, remember when the pandemic started and we were all in our fucking houses and all we did was watch TV and movies and listen to podcasts and like, you depended on the arts to get you through. It's a real fucking job and it takes a lot of work and a lot of people. So 
you should be willing to pay them for that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. I, I gave them $30. Amen. <laughs> on one Wednesday, I was like, take my money. I love you guys. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I'll, I'll probably do that again tomorrow on the bus. <laughs> do it. That's BYOB, so great. I'll be gin drunk. Who knows what I'll do? Yeah. So. Bring an extra pair of underwear to pretend like you took off and throw at them. Well, I mean, the comedians that are hosting it are both women. So I don't know if they would like that. They might. Actually, I think one of them said, yeah, I think one of them said she is part of the Rainbow Mafia. So who knows? You know, (laughs) if anything, it'll just add something to their set. Exactly. I don't think they want my granny panties, though. (laughs) Well, this will be a fake one. I got to get the cute underwear out. (laughs) Yeah. Go buy a fake one. Like a, uh, what's what's the word? A, um, a thong? A dummy pair. Oh. <laughs> and just like, just have it tucked in your pocket so it looks like it Woo! came out and just, wee wee toss it. Start whipping it around. <laughs> or like fucking uh, uh, t-shirt cannon it at them. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Get a t-shirt cannon to launch underwear at people. So <laughs> funny. God, it was so good. <laughs> if we ever do a live show, can we do that? Just t-shirt cannon yes. underwear at people. Oh my God, yes. But we'll have to get like... We'll have to get underwear that has like a full coverage butt so we can like screen print our faces onto it or yeah, something. One for each cheek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> First merch idea. We're ready. <laughs> we're ready, guys. We're on it. We're we thinking start, ahead of the game. We need to start a Patreon to fund it now. <laughs> <laughs> if we can get 500 followers on Instagram, we'll do. <laughs> we'll, we'll release Kyle and Courtney have questions underwear. <laughs> Oh gosh. What are you doing this weekend? Any fun um, plans? Not really. I well, we may be going to see some new apartments because we're looking uh for Always a new fun. apartment. You know, <laughs> it's like a full-time job. So we may be doing that. Um, and then I have a birthday party to go to on Sunday, and then I'm just chilling the rest of the time. Cool. No, no major plans. Yeah. Hey, I mean, there's a shortage of freedom. What are you gonna do? There's a shortage of will to want to do anything. That too. For me, currently. That too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I feel Courtney, you there. What are you drinking? Um, so I'm keeping it light right now. I have some unsweetened iced tea with a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, orange in there to, to spice it up. Mm. Just kidding. It's not spicy at all. Uh, <laughs> but it's delicious. So I, I get like on this kick with iced tea where I just drink it nonstop if I make Wait. it. So. So you make it, do you make sun tea or do you like cook it on the stove? No. Oh no. It's just, I literally bought like Lipton cold brew, Mm. like packets. So it's pretty basic, but it's good. And I'm literally drinking, I think like three liters of it a day. Oh, yum. (laughs) When we used to have a balcony on our apartment, we'd get a lot of like sun, uh, south, south, no, west facing windows. Yeah. yeah. And so I would just put a pitcher on the balcony and like let it boil for several hours in the mm-hmm. sun. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. My grandma always made sun tea. Like we'd show up to our house and you'd see the thing sitting out on the on the back porch, mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting there baking, getting ready. <laughs> so just good. Brewing. Yeah. Um, Usually I throw a little little splash of like lemonade or like some other kind of like fruit juice in there to give it a yeah. little flavor. But uh I need to go grocery shopping. So I'm out. Yeah. But I have those like true orange, true lemon packets. Mm-hmm. So I just threw some of that in there. That's yeah. Funny. Does it give you vitamin C? Uh, probably. I don't know. I don't really. It's just crystal light. <laughs> well, they say it's actually like crystallized citrus fruit. Like it's actual crystals oh. from the fruit. Um, I started using it. A friend of mine, Jonna, who is a flight attendant for Southwest, they started using true lime on their airplanes for mm-hmm. cocktails because she was like, it's way easier than trying to cut a lime at 35,000 feet. With turbulence. And yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> like, the number of times I've sliced my thumb open trying to cut limes. Oh my God, um, no. And so she brought some home and I was like, oh, these are delicious. And so I just started buying it. It's, I love that. I love it. It's so good. What about you? What are you drinking? Okay. So Joe and I went to one of our favorite Mexican places. It's called La Chaparita on uh, on the south side of Chicago. And they, Joe was feeling particularly hungover this day. So they asked him, hey, do you want to try this like Topo Chico uh, preparado drink that they have? Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And we got it. And it was the most refreshing drink that we've had in a long time. So it's basically Topo Chico lime, like squeezed lime and salt. And they swish it together and it is like savory and bubbly and like, oh God, it is so, oh you can easily, 
put some like sweet and sour in this and turn it into a skinny girl margarita. And it yeah. is, mwah, mwah. it's nice. so good. Yeah. I feel like I just saw somebody talking about that they were traveling in another country and that's what they were given was like waters with salt and flavors in them to like mm-hmm. replenish the salts that they're sweating out. Yeah. And I was like, I had never even thought of, of that before. It was a great hangover cure, but it's also just delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I probably don't need this much salt. Yeah. I'm like, I always depend on my liquid IV for my hangovers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's an old, uh, it's an old Mexican remedy, apparently. Mm, Good to know. Good to know. Courtney, what are we talking about today? Oh, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, as we discussed a little bit in our last episode, we're all aware of the bullshit rulings by SCOTUS. Um, yeah. And I think the one that that we're kind of most most pissed about as an entire country um, is the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade. Um, yes. And one of the things that stood out to me about that ruling is that one of the justices said in the opinion that the right to abortion was not rooted in the country's, quote, history or tradition. Okay. And so several thoughts on that. Yeah. And so my question was, well, what is the history of abortion in America? Because yeah. I, I didn't know. I was like, we had Roe v. Wade before that shit was illegal. That's all I got. So. Oh, this is going to be interesting to get is, us a little it like, is history. Fascinating, Kyle. Oh, awesome. So now I don't remember who actually wrote that part of the opinion. Like it might've been, you know, good old beer drinking Brett or Uncle Tom Clarence or shithead Steve Alito. I don't know. Well, they, they, multiple people wrote opinions on this. So mm. I don't remember who did that part. Gotcha. Um, but some direct statements from the opinion. First one, they said the constitution does not confer a right to abortion. And they expanded on that and said, Roe found that the constitution implicitly conferred a right to obtain an abortion, but it failed to ground its decision in text, history, or precedent it relied on an erroneous historical narrative it devoted great attention to and presumably relied on matters that have no bearing on the meaning of the constitution look the well, constitution okay, then. also said that women were not were property as yeah. were people of color yeah the constitution was written by a fucking bunch of old white guys that who don't know shit people. about our life now so right so maybe yeah. let's not let's not take it word for word, you know. Right? It's more like what do they say in Pirates of the Caribbean? It's more like guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's more like this is how we lived our life back then. Yeah. In 1776. Right? We're not doing anything else they did in 1776. They didn't even have toilet paper. Fuck those no. guys. For real. So, first of all, abortion dates back centuries. Like, when do you think like when do you think was the earliest recorded instance of an induced abortion? In the States? Just in history. When was the first one recorded? Oh, God. I have no idea. You don't want to guess? I'm going to say ancient Rome. I don't fucking know. Okay. It was in 1550 BC. No way. In Egypt. Okay, 3,500 no, years ago. <laughs> I am so intrigued on how they induced abortion back then. Was it like a poultice of so, so that's what we're going to talk about. Back then, most abortions, they weren't, they weren't done surgically. Like that's not something yeah. they did. And they had various methods of trying to induce an abortion, like having a woman sit over a pot of boiling water, um, fasting. Just steaming are, the girl. Yep, exactly. Uh, steaming your vagina, a little vagina facial, if you will. Which is, um, that's very uh, popular right now. It is. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow is in favor of it. So <laughs> she's pro-row, apparently. You know. um, <laughs> uh, fasting, our favorite. Bloodletting, always good. Um, stop it. Strenuous labor, deep diving into water, like the pressure. They're like, we got to get some clams. Go down right? there and get some clams. <laughs> get your clam down there to get some clams. <laughs> <laughs> um, they would like tighten girdles or corsets to like squish you. Um, oh. All the way up to like literally just beating a woman's abdomen to oh try and God. induce a miscarriage. Like the list goes on and on. However, one of the most common methods 
that I think most people are aware of was herbal remedies. Mm-hmm. They used things like sage, cypress, savory, pennyroyal, rue. Those were all things. So you actually have uh, your, a dog named after uh, an abortive <laughs> herb. Congratulations. Good job, she's, Rue. She's pro-women's choice. She is. She definitely is. <laughs> One thing I thought was really crazy, Benjamin Franklin actually published a recipe that was used by colonial Americans. He put it in, he wrote a book on mathematics and he included this as an example of like the precise measurements needed. And he referred to it as a solution to quote, the misfortune of unwanted pregnancy for unmarried women. Because this was just like a tradition in England and like throughout Europe. Let me get this right. Yeah. In, at the time of our founding fathers... They were pro-abortion. Oh yeah, we're going to get or into detail on that. at least in some respects, where yeah. we're going to talk. It was a common practice. We're going to get into detail on how they felt Great. about abortion. I love this. Let's do it. Oh yeah. Um, so there was also a book that was like kind of existed throughout the 1800s. I don't know if it was before that or not. It was called the King's American Dispensatory, and it kind of went over the use of herbs in American medical practice at that time. And it recommended a mixture of brewer's yeast and pennyroyal tea as, quote, a safe and certain abortive. That also sounds like something that would get rid of ghosts in your blood. Right? That'll get rid of the ghosts in your blood for sure. That and heroin. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, Cocaine so, for sure. Yeah. Definitely do cocaine about it. Um, <laughs> so I've mentioned pennyroyal twice now, and that's because it is actually, it's one of the most commonly used abortive plants. Um, but... It is incredibly unsafe and unreliable. Um, And I found a few examples. In 1978, a pregnant woman in Colorado died after taking two tablespoons of pennyroyal essential oil, which is known to be highly toxic, in order to try and induce an abortion. And in 1990, what's that? I can't believe... I can't believe you're telling me something that was made back in the day was toxic and not good for people, but they took it anyway. Yeah. In 1994, a pregnant woman who was unaware that she actually had an ectopic pregnancy, which requires immediate medical care, she drank a tea containing pennyroyal extract to induce an abortion without any medical help. And she actually died as a result of the untreated ectopic pregnancy because she mistook the symptoms as evidence that the pennyroyal tea was working. No. And like, to be clear, this is what we are going to start see happening more and more as women's rights are stripped away and they become desperate searching for other solutions. Like this is what we're going to start seeing in the fucking news again. Great. We're going to see reports of ivermectin working for abortions. Exactly. QAnon has probably already published 70 articles about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But going back to like the more specific history of just like abortion in America, I I do want to talk about like what abortion was like when the constitution was written because those disgusting fucking dinosaurs said that it had to be overturned because it's not mentioned in the document, but like we Mm -hmm. have to consider why that is. So first of all, abortion has always been present in American culture always existed. It's always been around. And of course, it's not mentioned directly in the constitution for a few reasons. First of all, the founders did not believe that women should even have rights. So obviously they're not putting that in the constitution. And also when it was written, abortion was legal and a very normal thing. Like it wasn't controversial at all. They just saw that as a personal choice and it had literally no stigma attached to it. It was just so widely accepted. So why would they need to codify it into law by putting it in the constitution? Like they did not, they never anticipated that it was going to be considered so evil later on. Almost like they didn't anticipate, you know, AR-15s or dinosaurs or cars or airplanes (laughs) Or any of the other shit that we all know and and love these days. Yeah. The other thing is like they actually didn't even often refer to it as abortion in most cases. Like they would often use the terms of like the pregnancy slipped away or menses had been restored to the woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. It's just slipped away. It reminds me of like the 
The um, there was like an episode or on a TV show one time where they were talking about they were talking about suicide trigger warning. Sorry guys, but they talked. They said she passed herself away. Oh my God! What? She passed herself away. Jesus Christ. It's a very Mississippi thing. They just, they, sorry, that reminded me. Of That's that. so insane. I've never <laughs> heard that phrase before. Um, but they said at the time that like church officials were really the only people that kind of frowned on the practice. And that was because they basically considered it to be a result of premarital or illicit sex. Imagine that. Not because of the abortion. And there were legal cases involving abortion, but they were cases against the people who botched an abortion causing harm or killing the, the woman who was carrying the child. So not so about the abortion, but about the person that botched yes. it. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't, oh, you did an abortion, you're going to go to jail. It was, you fucked up an abortion and now she's dead, so you you killed her, you're going to jail. Well, yeah, that's malpractice. <laughs> right, exactly. And what's really interesting is abortion was super common specifically during the first trimester. And that was mainly because of how they like perceived and understood life. Because I mean, obviously back then we didn't have reliable pregnancy tests. Like you couldn't go by first response at CVS and they didn't have ultrasounds that you went in and had done at six weeks. And, you know, like a fetus wasn't recognized as being a person until the quickening. Do you know what that is? The quickening? The quickening. No, I don't. So the quickening refers to the point at which the person can feel the fetus moving or kicking, Hmm. which takes place during the second trimester. So in those days, that was like the first solid evidence of pregnancy. Is that still a term that's used? I don't, I don't think so. I, I I haven't heard that term used. Um, But I like, I recognize that term because I had read books that were like set in colonial times that they would like Mm. mention it about a character, but like that's the only term. reason I knew it. So what was really interesting is that like most, most women just kind of like made the decision to abort privately. Like they might consult with like a midwife or they could even get over the counter medicines from like their local pharmacist or apothecary or whatever the fuck they were called then. And this cracked me up. They, they mentioned that they were medicines to quote, promote the monthly discharge from the uterus. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's just really (laughs) straightforward. Um, Can you imagine going into a pharmacy and being like, hello, I would like the medication to promote the monthly discharge from my uterus. Thank you. (laughs) Every fucking man with an earshot would be like, ooh, lady things. I hate the word discharge. Like some people don't like the word moist. Because of how we use it. I don't like the word discharge. Yes. Yeah. Like it's always used in a gross term. The only, the only like not gross way I've ever heard that word is like they were discharged from the military or discharged from the hospital. It's like an action as opposed to a thing. Right. That's not, that's, (laughs) that's legit. I feel like from now on, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, she discharged the baby yesterday. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) even worse. That baby was discharged. Um, I'm going to say that when uh, (laughs) I make dinner for Joe, Uh, dinner is discharged, Joe. (laughs) Joe's going to be like, I want a divorce. Not hungry. (laughs) So, and then like the reasons that women would make this decision obviously varied. Like there was lack of reliable contraception. It was a huge disgrace if you had a child outside of marriage. The dangers of childbirth were very well known. So like women would terminate pregnancies because of these reasons. And so even though birth rates were like really, really high back then, um, I actually saw a statistic in 1835, the average woman, average woman would give birth more than six times in her lifetime. Oh Fucking hard pass. What? Uh, no. Are you like breeding puppies over there? Like what's happening? Like my immediate thought when I read that was, ew, David. <laughs> Wait, hold on. First of all, you sounded just like her. Second of all, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, like we, back in the day, we were worried about populating our country and, you know. But most also of the they times, didn't have contraceptive. Yeah. You were expected to have sex with your husband whenever he wanted to have sex and you had no way to prevent yourself from getting pregnant. Right. So. Also, you needed large families to run your farms or whatever. And sometimes babies didn't make it. Yeah. You know? And so they said like, you know, 
despite the fact that birth rates were really high, many women wanted to limit the number of times that they would have to have a child because they understood the dangers that went with it. And so like, I mean, if you think about it, like there, we didn't have any of the modern medical practice. Like if you had an ectopic pregnancy, you just fucking died. They couldn't fix it. Like there was no surgery to go in and remove your fallopian tube and like try again next month. Like you just fucking died if you couldn't abort it. And so what I thought was really interesting, I found a quote from a historian named Judith Walzer Leavitt. And she said, women knew that if procreation did not kill them or their babies, it could maim them for life. Yeah, seriously. And it says there are actually some estimates that up to 35% of pregnancies in the 19th century ended in abortion. 35? 35% of pregnancies ended in abortion. That's wild. Yeah. That's high. Holy crap. And so during the 19th century, obviously like middle and upper class white women had a huge advantage when it came to dealing with it because just like the, the societal roles that existed, like women handled reproductive issues. So like they were the ones who had all the knowledge of like pregnancy and childbirth and reproductive, uh, reproductive systems, not doctors. Right. Like they were the ones who knew that. So they could very easily make their own decisions to manage their own reproductive health. They didn't have to call the doctor. They knew how to make brewer's yeast and penny royal tea because they read right. it in their little fucking book that they have in the kitchen and like did it at home and carried on with their day. But going back to our previous episode of like America is racist for enslaved women, abortion was extremely regulated. Really? And why would why would that be? Well, that because their sense. children were property. Yeah, yeah. So, in the Journal of American Studies, historian Lise Perrin actually wrote that you know many slaveholders were very paranoid about abortions on their plantations, um, and she documented that at least one slaveholder locked a, an enslaved woman up and stripped her of all privileges simply because he suspected that she had self induced her miscarriage. That's crazy. Despite that, their medical care was typically left to black midwives. Like slave owners were not calling doctors or anybody for their slaves. Mm-hmm. Like they had to handle that themselves. So enslaved women were definitely known to have used um, different a- abortive things to, to help end pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And it said some of the most common ways were things like chewing on cotton roots or ingesting substances like turpentine. Oh God, that sounds Can awful. You imagine like just the smell of turpentine and being like, oh, hey, you have to drink this. That's basically poison. Okay. It's poison. Like they were poisoning themselves so as Ooh. to not have children. My God. Yeah. It's fucking insane. So I want to get into more of like when it started to become more of a legal issue, but mm-hmm. let's take a quick break first. Okay. Hey friends, it's Kyle and Courtney, and we want to hear from you. That's right, you. What burning questions do you have? We'll do all the research. DM us on Instagram at Kyle and Court have questions. And while you're at it, give us a follow and maybe a share. Okay? Oh, definitely. Definitely yeah, a share. For sure. All right. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, so now despite the fact that there were restrictions for enslaved women. There were no explicit laws banning abortion until the 19th century. So initially, they kind of focused on restricting abortions and unregulated medicines after the quickening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the first law was actually codified in Connecticut in 1821. Okay. 1821 is the first law. We wrote the Constitution in 1776. (laughs) Or no, it was after that, 1778. Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. 1780 something. Fucking before 1821. (laughs) (laughs) And so their law sought to punish anyone who provided or took poison or any other substance with the intent to cause, quote, the miscarriage of any woman then being quick with child. So even then, still only after the quickening. So still only in the second trimester when Mm -hmm. the baby starts to move. Okay. However, as physicians became more professionalized during the 19th century, 
they started to argue that licensed doctors should care for women rather than midwives. So that's why midwives aren't as, they're becoming more common these days, but not Mm -hmm. as common as they were back then. Hmm. So keep in mind, however, doctors were only men. The patriarchy. God damn it, patriarchy, go to your room. (laughs) (laughs) The patriarchy is always at work, ruining things and fucking shit up. Um, And they were the ones who started to push back against abortion. So in 1857, a doctor named Horatio Storer, Mm -hmm. he kicked it all off. He had joined the American Medical Medical Association. He had been in, in the organization for less than a year. And the association itself was less than 10 years old at this time. Mm -hmm. And he pushed them to explore what he called, quote, criminal abortion. He argued that abortion was immoral and caused derangement in women because it interfered with nature. Oh, God. This is like getting on board with like women be, having hysteria. Yeah. The when it was like, no, it's just a fucking period, you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he, he felt that they should consider abortion not to be a medical act, but a crime that demeaned their profession. So oh my God. he went and was like, hey, you know this thing that we've never given a fuck about because women just do it by themselves at home and they handle it all and it doesn't involve us? I think now we should make it our problem and we should be pissed about it because it makes us look bad. Oh my God, get over yourselves. Fucking get over yourselves. So he started a group called Physicians Campaign Against Abortion and their public stance was then used as justification for an increasing number of criminal statutes. And abortion opponents saw this just as much of like a social evil as a moral one. Mm-hmm. And so they prompted like, or they, they talked about how like the influx of immigrants, the growth of cities and slavery ending near that time those all prompted fears that white Americans were not having enough babies to remain more dominant than those groups that they considered to be undesirable. So physicians then argued that white women needed to have babies for, quote, the future destiny of the nation. Look, we Sound are, familiar? We are still talking about this to this fucking day. About Did you see the video of that woman at a rally claiming that this ruling was a victory for white lives? Mm-hmm. Fucking what? Right. I hate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that's what I mean. Literally, we're still talking about this topic to this day where white people are fearing losing the majority. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. I always find that argument so interesting because it's like they always talk about how they're afraid of white people losing the majority. And that's part of the reason for this decision. But Abortion most impacts, like, people of color. Yeah. They're the ones who are going to have more babies because you fucking rich white assholes will always be able to get your mistresses and daughters out of state to somewhere that they can get what they need. Right. They're the one that's going to be impacted the most. Yep. Pisses me the fuck off. It's about keeping people in poverty is what it is. Mm -hmm. So by 1910, every state had anti-abortion laws. Many of them included exceptions for pregnancies that endangered the life of the mother. And like, we can't even fucking get everyone on board with that shit anymore. Right. Like. That's crazy. Um, and pr- I mean, prior to that, with the help of the uh, a U.S. postal inspector named Anthony Comstock, might recognize that name. That does sound familiar. It became harder to access that once common information to end an unwanted pregnancy because the 1873 Comstock Act made it illegal to send obscene materials, including information about abortion and contraception through the mail or across state lines. We could do a whole fucking series about the Comstock Act. Like it, yeah. Anyways. (laughs) Um, But back in, in the, I think it's around like the 1940s, Um, birth control pioneer Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, said that she was inspired to make teaching women about contraceptives her career after she treated a woman who died from a self-induced abortion. And she Mm. called it a disgrace to a civilized community. Now, a very important disclaimer. Margaret Sanger was not a saint. 
She had horrifying views. She was a big supporter of eugenics. She is not someone to admire, but like we have to acknowledge her role when it comes to abortion rights because she was a key player in that early in the 1900s. But yeah, not not a great person. Um, (laughs) But so it's still up for debate how frequently women sought abortions throughout the 20th century and like how often they died from a self-induced or a botched like back alley abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, By 1967, abortion was a felony in almost every state. There were still a few provisions for like health of the mother or pregnancies arising from rape. But of course that, you know, continued until 1973 when Roe made abortion a protected right nationwide. So when SCOTUS tries to tell us that the right to abortion is not rooted in our country's history or tradition, mm-hmm. it's total fucking bullshit. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is the problem with this issue is we have lawmakers who are making these decisions instead of medical professionals. And they're trying to say how that row ruling, what they said, it relied on an erroneous historical narrative. This shit's documented. Right. It's well-documented. Right. They just don't fucking know about it. Or they, but they refuse get to, make to laws. acknowledge it. Yeah, but they get to make laws about it. Ugh. Like, did you have any idea there was like that much detail to the history of abortion in our country? No. I never I no knew. Idea. I never would have thought. It's just fascinating to me. That um, is fascinating. Yeah. So I want to touch on a few like big pop culture moments because I think that's how most of us kind of come to find out about abortion. I don't think anybody really like learned about it in school maybe for the first time. Yeah, Um, definitely not. The most famous one is Dirty Dancing. Like the entire premise of that movie, Johnny and Baby start working together because Penny gets pregnant and has to take the night off of the dance competition to get an abortion. And it's such a- I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's such a stinging narrative of that whole process because it's like she got pregnant by Robbie, who was one of the waiters at the the resort or whatever. But mm-hmm. then Robbie doesn't help her or take any responsibility. He just, you know, keeps working and like getting big tips from all the clients and dating the client's daughters. And then he gets to go to like an Ivy League school. And meanwhile, like Penny nearly dies from a botched abortion. Like baby has to go get her dad to help save her life. I like maybe I missed. The, well, I, I I don't really know that movie that well. I haven't seen its entirety. You gotta watch it, and that's what I I put something on my Facebook the other day. I was like, if you're fucking celebrating Roe v. Wade, don't you fucking dare watch Dirty Dancing ever again in your life. <laughs> don't ever fucking watch it. I don't think those people are. Oh, I know people who claim to be pro life, and that's like they're like that's my favorite movie. I love that movie. Did you fucking pay attention to it, or <laughs> did you just not. watch the last scene and you're like, this song's yeah. great? They blacked out the whole abortion plot line and just yeah. focused on the love story. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing is it's like she only has one chance. This doctor's traveling through town and they can get him to meet her to do an abortion. And I forget the other guy's name that like takes her to it. That when uh, Johnny and, and baby come back from the competition, they find Penny and she's like in pain, like clammy and like crying and all balled up. And the guy was like, he's like, fucking doctor, my ass. He had a fold-up table and a dirty knife. Oh, God. And it's like, that's what women had to do back in the 60s when they couldn't fucking get abortions. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, Another movie I wanted to mention, I don't think it was like very popular, but I watched it and I loved it. It's called Obvious Child. Has Jenny Slate. I didn't see that one, but I love her. It is so fucking fantastic. So it follows her character. I think her character's name is Donna. And it's like her journey of getting an abortion. So like she finds out her boyfriend was cheating on her, ends up having a one night stand with a guy and winds up pregnant. And what's Hmm. so unique about this movie is that it doesn't focus on like how she makes the decision. It's just like, well, yeah, I'm going to get an abortion. So then it's all focused on like the practical details of like, should I tell him or not? When should I schedule it? How am I going to pay for it? And it's just, it's also practical. And it's very unique because nobody that she discusses it with, no one tries to talk her out of it. Mm-hmm. Like nobody tries to convince her to keep it. She ends up telling the guy about it. He's even supportive of her decision. And then it's like in the end of the movie, like they end up together that it's like, they just made this decision and we're like, you know what? Yeah, but we still really like each other. So let's, let's go. <laughs> Aww. Um. 
another one, which I found this one in a list and I thought it was interesting because a friend of mine had just shared um, something about this on her Instagram last week. The sitcom Maud back in the 70s with mm-hmm. B. Arthur, that sitcom featured the first abortion storyline in primetime TV. Yeah. So B. Arthur's character becomes pregnant at the age of 47. So she and her husband decide they don't want to raise a child at their age. And that that plot line was a huge controversy because the episode aired a year before Roe v. Wade passed. Wow. But abortion at that time was legal in New York where the characters live. And CBS actually ended up getting over 7,000 letters of people complaining. Wow. But what I found really fascinating, which I never knew, is how they came up with that storyline. So there was uh, an organization that promoted like population control and it was called Zero Population Growth. Um, I did see that they changed their name. It was eventually called like Population Connection, but they created a contest for comedies to, they would give them $10,000 if they did a storyline that focused on population control methods. Hmm. And they said, every storyline people came up with was about vasectomies. So they wanted to do something different. So they wrote a storyline about abortion. You know, I actually just saw the clip from that particular episode um, recently. I went to a gold, I told you I went to that golden girls wake and it was in like the top 10 uh, moments of B. uh, B. Arthur's career. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was like a huge cultural moment when that happened. Yeah. And what's crazy is like, so many shows since then have touched on abortion in their storylines. Um, I made a list and I was like, this list could go on and on, but Roseanne, The Facts of Life, All My Children, Party of Five, Dawson's Creek, Sex in the City, Mad Men, Grey's Anatomy, Girls. It's just yeah. such a, a a common topic to see in TV now, but it's just so crazy to look at that very first time that it happened and like, what a big deal that was. Yeah. Can you imagine if the internet had been around in those days, how many more complaints they would have gotten? Oh my God. Everyone. But I mean like <laughs> 7,000 in that particular day and age. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause they had to write a letter and put a stamp on it and go to the post and office mail that and mail shit it. In. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. But I mean, it's just one of those things of like, when I, when I read that line of like, there is no history or tradition of that in our country. Like, where the fuck have you been? It's everywhere. This is like, it's such a common storyline. And I shared an article, I'll find it. And I will share it when we post this episode. Um, A woman wrote an article about like the story that her grandmother told her about how her great grandmother died because I think they had three or four kids. They were very poor and she became pregnant again. And so she and her husband either decided or the husband decided that they were going to abort the baby. And he did it himself on their kitchen table. And she fucking died. He went and woke his children up in the middle of the night and said, you need to come into the kitchen and say goodbye. Your mom is dying. No. And so she was like, my grandmother remembers this night of going out and her mother is laying on the kitchen table and there's blood everywhere. And she fucking just died on their kitchen table. Oh my God. That's awful. I mean, yeah. Hell yeah. You would remember that. Yeah. And it's like, that's what people want. It's just, it cracks me the fuck up that these people are like, well, if we ban abortion, it will stop. No safe abortions will stop. That's what will happen. But then they don't apply that same logic to guns. If we ban guns, people will still get guns. So there's no point. Okay. It's all about money. Oh yeah. 100%. All about money. So, but yeah. Um, So as far as the references that I use, um, I did use the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization opinion. I looked Mm. at that actual document. Um, Wikipedia has a really uh, in-depth page on history of abortion uh, a National Geographic article on uh, it's called How U.S. Abortion Laws Went from Non-Existent to Acrimonious by Aaron Blakemore. Mm. And then a Glamour article on abortion in pop culture by Maggie Mallon. Nice. So, yeah. Very nice work, Courtney. That was fascinating. It's it, There's just so much detail to it that I never, I, like I never even considered how much there was. It's crazy. You know, 
I feel like with the organization of the Christian right and like the American family, whatever, and all that bullshit back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever that happened. Yeah. That really, God, that really like set us on a a course course to destruction, quite honestly. There you go, Christians. Look what you did. Seriously. Ugh, ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Thank you for that. What that was time awesome. It is. I know what time it is. Are you ready? I I, I think so. I never know with you. <laughs> <laughs> this one isn't so bad. Okay. But I think it's funny. Okay, so Courtney, yeah. we're ready for our um, would you rather question. So would you rather be annoyed by everyone you meet or never be taken seriously by anyone? Ooh. Either way, you're annoyed. Aren't they the same? <laughs> I was like, aren't those the same things? Like, if, um, if no one took me seriously, I would be I would super be annoyed. annoyed. Yeah, I would yeah. be so annoyed. Um, I think I would have to go with being annoyed by everyone, mm-hmm. which I hate the idea of, but like, it's better than the alternative of like, I'm annoyed and no one takes me seriously. <laughs> yeah. I think I agree with you. I would like, I would rather be taken seriously. Yeah. Or like people, like, like people like um, trusted me or yeah, I guess be yeah. taken seriously than, than not because that's more like, that like undermines you at your like very core, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like if, if everyone is like telling you like, ah, pfft, yeah. we're not like listen, listen to you. Yeah. That has like a psychological impact. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's, I think that's way better. It's sucks for you to be annoyed, but it will, it it will turn out better in the end, I think. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was an easy one. (laughs) Yep. That was, that was easy. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this conversation. I hope you you. uh, found something new out of it. I know I, I definitely did. Hope I schooled you. You schooled us, Courtney. And thank you for bringing all this research to the table. We appreciate it. Absolutely. It's always interesting to collect it all. So Yeah. All right, guys. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening Bye. to the Kyle and Courtney we'll Questions. Bye. Bye. Hey friends, this is Courtney of Kyle and Courtney Have Questions. Just a friendly reminder, Kyle and I are not experts on any of the topics that we discuss on this podcast. So take everything we say with a grain of salt. And maybe a shot of tequila too. Probably a good idea. Yeah.